Welcome to a form of acknowledgement, homilies, teachings, and reflections with Father Jeremiah Volman, an Orthodox Christian priest, exploring the theanthropic life, the intersection between the created and the uncreated, the human and the divine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is in Thank you. Beloved in Christ. A little while longer, not much longer, until we celebrate the Feast of Nativity. We've been observing a season of preparation. 40 days of preparation, like Moses in the wilderness, uh, waiting at the top of Mount Sinai for the, engraving, for the engraved commandments. And we're waiting not for commandments on tablets of stone, but the living word, the living commandment to be born. And so, my, I'm going to continue to encourage you, beloved ones, during this season of preparation. Keep going deeper. Come to church a little bit more if you can. Pray a little bit more. Eat a little bit less. Take the fasting prescriptions seriously as much as you're able. And, you know, seek counsel, too, if you have questions regarding the spiritual life. We're in this together, this journey toward the cave in Bethlehem, toward the place, that little dark, barren place where Christ was born, very similar to our own hearts. So, beloved, we're journeying together. Let's make this journey together so that we can truly celebrate the Feast of Nativity together. Today, as we're on these... in. Sundays of preparation, in the midst of these days of preparation, we remember the Holy Forefathers of Christ. Last night we read a bit about them, a beautiful, actually we read a beautiful reflection from the, the Synaxarian, the lives of the saints, about how we celebrate in the memory of the posterity of Abraham, leading up to that one woman of faith who said, Yes to God and through whom Christ was born. We remember Abraham as a prototype of the faithful person. We also read during this last week, I think on Wednesday night, a beautiful reflection by St. Nikolai Velimirovich about Abraham admitting before God, I am nothing, I am dust and ashes. And then putting all of his trust in God completely and being told he would become the father of many, that his posterity would be innumerable. And in fact, you and I, beloved ones, are his posterity, people of faith. Those who believe in God with reckless abandon even, with total radical trust in his providence. 
And uh, we, heard, we heard the hymns last night and today about the forefathers of Christ, those leading up in expectation to the fulfillment of all longing found in Jesus. Today is also a very, very precious day for us in our little holy community because as you know and as you entered into the church, you encountered someone special in the middle of the church. We call him Appa, Appa, which is a, a uh, Alaskan term for grandpa. Appa Herman, a beloved term of endearment for someone who is much loved. Father Herman of Alaska, and today's his day. We celebrate, you know, on every day of the, of the year, we're flooded with grace. We're flooded with the reality of the perfection of God's love. And today, in a very special way that hits close to home, we're flooded with the grace of God as revealed through this precious man, Father Herman of Alaska. And he's the one I want to talk about today because a lot of times his feast day falls during the week. It's one of those, it's always on, we always celebrate his, his day on the 13th of December. And it just happened to land on a Sunday. So because we have uh, more people present and hopefully tuning in, I want to give some attention to St. Herman today. I want to give you just a little glimpse of the life of St. Herman for those who are less familiar with, with his life and then make some reflections about his, his life and perspective. So Herman was born in the town of Supukov in the Moscow diocese. So he's from Russia around 1756. At age 16, he entered the Russian Orthodox monastic life at the Holy Trinity St. Sergius Hermitage near St. Petersburg. And later he became the disciple of Elder Nazarius, who was also the, the spiritual father of St. Seraphim of Sarov, another much-loved saint. And he moved to the Valam Monastery. During this time, the head of the golikov shelikov Company visited Valam and made a request for several monks to begin a mission into the Alaskan territory. Father Herman was selected along with seven other monks. They arrived on Kodiak Island on September 24, 1794. This is the way that Orthodoxy made its way really into America through Alaska and through immigration. But the monks educated and converted the Aleuts or native Alaskans, baptizing 7,000 people. Every time I tell this story, I'm just, my mind is blown by the fact they baptized, in the first year, they baptized 7,000 people, and they solemnized or crowned 1,500 marriages. And as time progressed, they found themselves protecting the natives from exploitation and abuse. You know, God uses evil for good even. And what was happening during that time was there were, I could tell you a long, lengthy detailed story. I won't go into extreme detail, but traders and trappers, frontiersmen from Alaska had been coming into Alaska. I mean, from Russia had been coming around into Alaska to 
to hunt and to bring back especially otter pelts. Otters were annoying to the native Alaskans and precious to the Russians because they could make thick uh, coats and, and uh, garments to help them endure harsh weather conditions. So they would, they would trade like glass beads to the natives. The natives would hunt the otters because they wanted to get rid of them and sell them to the Russians. The Russians would go back and make a killing on, on their sales. They'd give a bunch of money to the church, throw a huge party, run out of money because they lived in order to live, and then they'd go back and enjoy their adventure back to Russia. I mean, back to Alaska, sorry. And uh, over time, the natives got to know these frontiersmen. And there was some intermarrying that took place. And the frontiersmen, being Orthodox Christians, started sharing their faith. Then the entrepreneurs heard about it and got involved and started setting up shop in Alaska and taking advantage of the natives. And I think as a way to spread their influence initially, they, and perhaps some had a good intent, but they called upon these missionaries to come and missionize, maybe to civilize the natives. Well, what they got were not, you know, politically minded um, imperialists, but what they got were God-loving spiritual men who preached the gospel and converted thousands. And then, who stood up for the rights of the natives in the face of the entrepreneurs who were basically treating them like slaves, underworking, excuse me, overworking and underpaying them. So, whatever the motives may have been, mixed or not, the missionaries came in, including Father Herman, and preached the gospel to these people. And in time, enduring hardship, inclement weather, illness, and more, St. Herman ended up standing as the only remaining one from the original band of missionaries. After Kodiak, after they landed initially on Kodiak Island, he settled on Spruce Island, which is a little, a little tiny island just about a mile and a half off of Kodiak. And uh, he established a, a small monastic habitation that he called Nouvelon. Father Herman felt it his duty to protect the native Alaskans, the Aleuts, from exploitation. So he defended them against the cruel treatment of those who controlled the colony, which he documented and presented before the governors of the colony. And he loved the children especially. And that's part of where Appa comes from, calling him grandfather, because he loved the children so much. And he even set up a small orphanage on Spruce Island. And he taught the youths from all over the archipelago, all over the series of islands in that area, um, elements of horticulture. And the natives regarded him as their intercessor before God. And when there was a tidal wave on the way to the island once, he took an icon of the Theotokos and placed it on the beach. The people were afraid, but he assured them that the water would not rise beyond the place where the icon was. And it did not. And when there was a great fire on the island, he dug a trench and stayed the flames. Prior to his death, he foretold that there would be no priest to bury him 
and that he would be forgotten for 30 years. And he died on December 13th, 1837, and was, he was forgotten until the first investigation of his life in 1867 by Bishop Peter of Alaska. And I, one of the things that was so profound when you read and hear the stories about St. Herman and how beloved he was of the natives, they would, they would say that he never actually really died. He's still with us. He's still with us. That though he physically died, he's still alive as our intercessor in Christ. So he's such a precious man, it's hard to find myself even worthy to, to speak about him. His tenderness, you know, his guilelessness. When you stand in front of the image, when you stand and celebrate the memory of such a person, it's like you're exposed right away. My own impatience and my own selfishness quickly revealed when I look into the face of St. Herman when I see his transcendent gaze, when I make contact with those eyes that have shed so many tears. Yet within this initial reaction of unworthiness and humility, my, also my false humility is revealed. It would be easy to see this angelic man and juxtapose myself to him. Yet while he was no stranger to the angels and they to him, he accomplished that which even the angels look upon with a sense of wonder. He divinized the flesh. In St. Herman, it's easy to quickly identify what, what we might call an earthy or organic sense of spirituality. Not a false or dualistic one that separates the person from the creation, but one that unites with creation. As the very cells of the body of man are formed and held together by the word, the logos, the word of God. As every cell of the body of man is formed and held together by the logos and as it is by the spoken word of the word of God that all matter, all that is came into being. The humble monk understood this, he did not eschew the world, but he became united with it. He became a theologian in the truest sense. While I was studying about the mission to Alaska and their, the way that the incarnation made so much sense to the natives because they saw that the world was not separated from the creator of the world. And then the missionaries could tell them the God who created the world became one with the world because of his love for the world. They profoundly understood that because they, the world wasn't just a material item for their use and disc discard. So I came upon this beautiful reflection, another one by St. Nikolai, actually. He says, theology means the word of God, to speak about God, theologia. God word, God talk, you say. Theology means the word of God. Theology is therefore all or nothing. The whole of nature, of supernature, of that which is beyond nature, 
of subter nature, that which is below nature, all that is created is all theology. If the whole of nature is not theology, then theology is nothing or nature is nothing. If the whole of nature does not speak about God, who will believe Isaiah or St. Paul? If the whole world around is a wilderness, what can the voice of one prophet crying about God in the wilderness accomplish? If the whole universe does not speak of God, who can without contempt hear the words of one man? The publicans and the Pharisees sought a sign, and it was not given them. But our generation seeks a miracle to believe. Show us God, so many of our contemporaries say, and then we will believe. But how? Do not these people who despise miracles and do not believe in them demand a greater miracle? We must say to them, show us what is not God. Everywhere present and filling all things. And I love to say, there is nothing that is apart from having been created by God. Everything that is, is on account of He who is. Changes your perspective on everything. What does this mean? St. Herman understood this profoundly. <clears throat> That's what I want to reflect on today. Therefore, it makes sense to see in him, in St. Herman, this one who came to perceive of creation aright, it makes sense to see in him one who plunged his hands into the soil. He got dirty. He gathered baskets of kelp to fertilize the garden. And don't think that he wasn't praying while he was fertilizing the garden. He baked cookies for the kids. Kredelki, cookies, they were called. And don't think he wasn't praying and communing with God while he was baking cookies. During the pre-Lenten season, you know, no eggs or milk in them. I mean, pre-nativity. And he kneeled down with the children. In Appa, we find a man for whom creation was not worthy, but who was made worthy of creation. He became a worthy steward of the earth and of its people. And because he was made worthy to see creation as it truly is, his holy hands even reinvited Eden into the cold wilds of North America. He reclaimed the soil. He reclaimed the seeds and the sea. He discerned the life, the power of the Logos, the Word of God present in it all. And beloved in Christ, I must warn you, when this takes place, one's life comes to become like a living invocation of the Holy Spirit. A living epiclesis, you could say. A calling down upon the Holy Spirit on the elements here set forth. Like we do in the Holy Liturgy, when the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Christ. We call them down. Because our life is to be a living invocation of the Holy Spirit upon the elements set forth which we've trivialized. We reclaim the sacredness of the earth as created by God. 
The earth which is the Lord's and the fullness thereof comes to be divided and distributed like that loaf, like that bread which is his body. All of creation finds its purpose, having been repurposed by the grace of the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's purpose. The earth of all irrational and created things and also the earth of rational creatures, even our thoughts, everything comes to be set forth as on a pattern. A discourse an off, to be offered to God. And we find ourselves on the earth. As those simple elements ourselves being brought forth. To be placed upon the holy altar. The liturgy, the divine liturgy I remind you is an image of just our, our life. The whole of our life. The more you reflect and meditate on what happens during the service of the divine liturgy. The more you see Wow, this is what life is. All of life is all about what happens here. It takes time. You don't just get it all of a sudden. It takes a paradigm shift. And it takes the work of the Holy Spirit within you to find that you desire to have that constant liturgy of life taking place in your life. The living invocation of the Holy Spirit in such persons as Appa Herman leaves no room for distinction between what is common and what is uncommon, but only between what is existent and that which is non-existent. And that which is existent, beloved in Christ, that which is, is to become sanctified by the invocation of the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't happen now in our lives by, by our own free will, for the salvation and restoration of the creation, then it will happen later on the most awesome and truly fearful day of the Lord's reclaiming of all things unto himself. And while as yet we're able to choose love, it's time for us to begin to try to see the world as it is. Not to disconnect, but to connect, to touch, to plunge our hands into the soil, to lift up the ill and little ones to God. To be more concerned with what is, what truly is, and less concerned with what isn't. You heard the phrase, stop and smell the roses. Yeah, do it and glorify God. Since I started understanding this little revelation about the nature of life and creation. I've, I, I, liked, I love to touch things now. I touch a leaf as I'm walking by and I feel it. The artistry behind it, between, behind God's creation of it. You know, rub my hands along the top of a bush and take nothing for granted. Touch the wall and you know, just, I mean, there's a sacramental character to everything that is. Take nothing for granted. And what we must see then is not the despicable and hideous garment that cloaks creation with a false veneer and a facade. But we must see through the vanity of cold and shallow perception. And then allow that candle that burns within us to shed warmth and light on what we see. See it as it truly is. And when we seek to see all that it is, 
All that is with the warmth of love and of the tenderness demonstrated by St. Herman. We fall in love with all that is. You fall in love with all that is. St. Herman gives us this reminder. He says, the vain desires of this world separate us from our homeland. Love of them and habit clothe our soul as if in a hideous garment. We who travel on the journey of this life and call on God to help us ought to divest ourselves of this garment and clothe ourselves with new desires in a new love of the age to come and thereby receive knowledge of how near or how far we are from our heavenly homeland. And then what happens when you realize how far, when you're wearing that hideous garment maybe, you like that ugly hat that you've been wearing all along that everyone's been telling you to take off? Okay, fine. It's been all about me. When you realize, what do you do? You change a little bit. You set out on that path toward your heavenly homeland rather than looking and thinking, look how far away it is. I'm lost. There's no hope for me. No, that's a lie. You set out on the path with hope. God wants to see you arrive at that destination of his eternal kingdom. We divest ourselves of the false garment of vanity and in turn see through the facade of evil and its influence to a creation in all the evil, in all the pain, you see not evil and pain anymore. You see a world that is crying out for God, longing for Him, longing for its restoration. Anytime you see something wrong, you see something longing for restoration that only Christ can provide. This restoration was inaugurated at the incarnation of God. And it continues as we become incarnate, as we take on that life, that incarnational life, as He is. I must remind you, as we receive His body and blood in Holy Communion, with our feet firmly planted upon the reality of life in God through Christ, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, so when I look into the tear-streaming eyes of Appa Herman, and you'll see in this icon that we have, and the one in the center is a reproduction of the larger one we have on the wall, you'll see, looks like kind of furrows coming down, streams of tears out of love and sorrow for all of creation. When I look and I see those tears and I encounter the gaze of someone who sees, he sees, doesn't see through or doesn't look past, but sees. You know, have you encountered that when someone looks at you and they, it's like they see you. I see you. Not beyond you or what I think I see, but I see you. That's how Appa Herman saw the world and the people that he served. Not as someone who sees through, but who actually sees. And this is why in some of those icons, we see this indelible furrow of tears running down the face. 
the tears of a father, of a true human, of one who would not only pray that the stone be lifted from your path, but would lean down and begin lifting so that he can help you remove the stone from your path. So today, beloved, he reminds me that I'm not too humble to speak of him because he sees me and he enables me, the child that I am, to begin to see as well. So, beloved, let's first raise the elements of ourselves and offer them as on a holy pattern of the earth to Christ our God. Let's allow the tears of love for creation to create furrows on our own cheeks as well. And let's kneel down, plunge our hands into the soil, offer a cookie, and embrace and a prayer for our little ones through the intercessions of our Holy Father, Herman, our North Star and fervent intercessor. May Christ our God have mercy on us and save us. Amen.